Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. We've been in a, a series of uh, talks here at Park City. We've been re- together as a community reading through the first bits of Genesis, just as like foundational stories. And, uh, and we've tackled some sort of big questions. Um, We've stepped into stories that are sometimes hard to hear, and the flood is oftentimes one of them, and over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about that, but today is kind of the, uh, the, the, the denouement, if you will, the, the finishing sort of, uh, of this particular piece of the story. Noah will get a, a little more attention in what follows, and we'll consider that next week, but, but what we read today sort of wraps up the flood uh, narrative, and um, to just jump right in, I think uh, where we, we didn't read this bit, but the couple of verses right before introduces themes that are picked up in what Lisa uh, so beautifully read for us this morning. But God tells Noah and his family, leave the ark, take your wife, your kids, the animals, and, 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 and go, into, uh, go into the world, he says, and be fruitful and multiply, which you heard those themes in what Lisa read for us. Uh, and, and, and essentially what we have, I'll just want to kind of hear the story as a whole. I think w- one thing that's clearly happening here is it, it, the feeling we get 
So just as listeners hearing the story, we've been adrift on the water, we've been in the boat, there's been violence in the earth prior to this, all sorts of things, uh, corruption, you know, men sort of violently turned against one another, um, and, and, and in this moment, the, water in, uh, the earth in some sense washed clean by the waters of the flood. God tells Noah to go out, to leave, take your family, uh, be fruitful and, and multiply. And I think we're meant to hear, I mean, it sounds like new creation. Right? It, it sounds like themes we heard at the beginning of the story, the very beginning in the garden. Right? You can feel the sort of lushness, the newness of like the, 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 the world is, is uh, washed clean and fresh. Enter it, be fruitful, multiply, tend the creation that I have. I'm giving you everything, God says. It feels like the garden. Right? It feels like new creation. Noah feels like a kind of... Uh, entering a new world as a kind of new Adam, right? In, in the story, as we hear it, he feels like a, a, a new Adam, a, a world that had been broken, now cleansed, and he's sent into this new creation, in one sense, having passed through death into life, like the New Testament writers will tell us, the waters of baptism, he'll, he'll enter into new life, and God sends him into the world, go, Right? Do what I've created you to do in my creation, a new creation. It's beautiful. It feels hopeful. It feels exciting, like we're on the cusp of newness and uh, freshness and life. And uh, it's just, it feels like new creation. And, and, and I think it moves us to a, a second feeling, which is uh, in the midst of all this new creation, we're wondering like, oh, is this, is this a new humanity, right? Will there be something different? I think we've been primed for it in the story. Will there be something different about Noah and whoever will come after him from all those people before that we have felt in the story, all the violence we've experienced in the story before? I think we're, we're brought into this moment of new creation. We're like, oh, oh, maybe this is a new humanity. And, and Noah, I think, you know, to his credit, he he leans into this. Where we started reading in verse 20 of chapter 8, and the first thing he does, go into this new creation, and the first thing he does is he builds an altar to the Lord. You, you feel it. He comes out of the boat, and immediately his gaze is upward. All right? You, you, you can almost sort of feel it. It's almost as if he says, I mean, this is encouraging, right? This is hopeful. New creation, new humanity. Yes, right? We're excited. It's almost as if Noah says, as he steps into this new world, God, this new earth is yours. If you'll have it, God, it's yours, right? His gaze upward, he builds an altar. Righteous and blameless Noah leaving the ark and setting out into a new world. How many of you guys watched the draft? Was that last weekend? Yeah, we were in Union Station this weekend. I didn't go to the draft, but there were like guys in hard hats and like uh, safety harnesses everywhere. I was like, what is going on? You know, is there like a rappelling convention or spelunking or something? I don't know. And then I'm like, oh, they're just taking down the draft stage because it was enormous, right? Any of you guys go? Yeah, a few of you. That's right, Connor. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't tell this next bit about the draft because apparently we, <laughs> we uh, weren't very interested. But I think it's always an interesting time of year, right? When, when uh, like, at least in the sports world, the people who are supposed to know best the paid professionals whose job it is to predict success, to identify, uh, you know, what success will look like and who it will be. Like, this is, their, this is the moment when they sh shine, right? 
And I don't know if you watched it at all, and I'm not picking on any athlete. They're obviously all better than me, but, uh, right? Uh, did any of you follow the story of the, I think he was the Kentucky quarterback, Will Levis? Yes? I think ESPN uh, analytics had a, like a 92% chance that he would be in the top 10 people chosen, right? You're like, talk about cream of the crop, this guy, right? All, all signs pointed. And in fact, if you guys follow it, you know there's like a room where I think there's like smarter people than me would know. There's like 30-something picks in the first round, 31 or something like that. And of that, about half of those, I, the, uh, about 15 people are invited into sort of this like green room space, right? Because they're they're the, they're, the, they're the locks. They're going to go. So they want it on camera. They're going early, first round. They're the, they're the ones people want to watch. Cameras, journalists, family members, sisters, right? Will, Will Levis was there, right? So you can see every reaction, right? You, you're, you got a front row seat to all of that excitement. You, you, you guys obviously know where this is going, maybe, right? So he's projected the top ten. The top two or three, no drama. That's everyone was sort of agreed Number four, surely it will be Levis. Was it? No. No. I appreciate the emotion uh, there. <laughs> no. Fifth pick? No. Tenth pick? No. Twentieth pick? No. I mean, just is the camera, I didn't watch it. Is the camera on him like every one? Like maybe this is the one. Every, does every time his like disappointment projected to the NFL world, uh, brutal, right? 31st pick, first round. No, right? No. And he left. Did he go back to the room the next day? Pfft, no way, right? I'm going home with my family, and whatever happens, I'll celebrate with them. Thankfully, he went, I think, like early in the second round. You're like, why, why, why the deep dive into the draft? I don't even like soccer, right? Like, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Because I think, I just use it as an analogy, like, like we think we know people, we think we know humanity, right? And, and in that space in particular, we know what makes for success, right? Yeah. Uh, we think we know, but we are notoriously bad at reading ourselves, our own hearts, and others, Right? We're hopeful in this moment for new humanity. Noah builds an altar. Everything is looking up and listen to God's response to Noah. Verse 21. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. And then this phrase just falls like an anvil on all of this hope for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. You can almost feel it. God's like, Noah, buddy. This is lovely, and I am thankful, but let's be honest. You are more broken than you realize. That even now, after the cleansing, after a new creation and a fresh start, there is a concession, uh, an admission that the human heart is bent on itself. You are more broken than you realize. So much so that even here in this new creation, with this new Adam, God immediately puts guardrails in place to protect the value of human life. Right, of all the places this command that God could have given could have come in the story, right? You'd have thought maybe earlier or some other place, God has to immediately in this new creation institute the guardrails and rules to preserve the value of human life because 
the human heart is bent on itself and will do violence to others when it is threatened. We hear echoes of new humanity, but man, sin has already sort of darkened the scene even here, which, which for me, I think it makes, it makes the altar scene pretty remarkable to me. I heard one author describe it like this, that it's like this altar, this place where Noah is looking heavenward. It's a place where like earth and heaven, want to, they, they want to like clasp hands. A desperate effort on Noah's part to like um, make sense of, right, what's going on, to, to, to reach for, to grasp for God. It's a fresh start. He's coming out of the ark and it's a, a fresh start like so many fresh starts in the rest of the story, altar after altar after altar. Sometimes it's gratitude. God, thank you for preserving me. Here's an altar. Sometimes it's remembrance, right? I, I think of all the trial I've come through and this altar is a marker, like I, I'm still here, right? I'm still here. God, and we reach and we grasp. Sometimes it's commitment to the future, an invocation. God, I, 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 I can't believe I'm still here, but whatever you've done, I'm, I'm, I, I, I just please go with me forward. But in every case, it's temporary, right? In each case, it's for a moment, and then very quickly, we fall back to the inclination of every human heart, which is an inward bent on ourselves. I wonder, I wonder uh, for us in the room, like what, what have your altar moments been like? I would imagine we've all had them. Maybe we don't use that language, but a moment in life when maybe we were like, oh, God, thank God right? Like whatever it is you came through and that exclamation came out of you like, thank God, an, an altar moment. Maybe I wonder for you if it, was a, if it was a God, if you'll just, if you will just, and I promise going forward, I will, right? And an altar moment, a reaching, a, a clasping, some bit of your earthly mess, reaching for a bit of God's presence in your life. The word I want to use is tenuous. It's tenuous at best. This connection between the God of heaven and the earthly mess of your life and mine. Maybe you know that place. Maybe you've been there recently. It's an interesting place for God to remind Noah and you and me that the intention of our hearts is evil, it's selfish, it's curved inward, authors would say later. I found the, the writing of uh, a musician, John Guerra, helpful here. He describes it as a tightrope. He says, sometimes I feel like I'm walking a tightrope between heaven and earth. Walk steady, walk straight, don't grumble, don't be late, get better or you're gonna get hurt. So I try to walk balanced and help. I say I'm fine, wobbles and all, but some things I can't fake. It's a curse I can't break. This tightrope is no match for the fall. I don't know what your altar moments have been like, but I would wager that inevitably, whatever those moments have been, you have quickly felt the pull of the human heart back to, back to whatever the mess of life may be for you. So, so it, it leaves me with that feeling, like you're in that space, that moment. Noah at this altar, we have, we have the hope of a new creation, maybe, maybe like a new humanity, we don't know. But that feels to be going sideways pretty quickly. Brings us to sort of the 
conclusion, the hopeful bit of this passage, which is a new covenant. It's not language we use often outside of marriage. It's probably not a word you use much, right? This sort of covenant where God um, uh, uh, connects himself with humanity, with his people, with you and with me. God's covenant here is interesting. He's specific. He says, uh, the experience like what you have had in the flood, Noah, it won't be like that again. And then he promises that nature will follow a predictable pattern, something you can trust. Its scope is enormous, right? We could reflect on this, God telling uh, his uh, Noah here in this moment, it's for every living creature, it's everlasting, so it's permanent, it's generous because it's unconditional. God is, this, he hasn't laid any sort of requirements on Noah and everyone who will come. This will be true regardless, he says. Well, essentially what God is saying, and this is why I think its scope uh, is full of, of so much hope because God is telling him and he's telling you, I will carry the weight of this relationship. You will build altars, you will reach, you will fall, but my faithfulness will carry the weight of this relationship. It's interesting if we think about the story as we've heard it. In the garden, God gave Adam an obligation and he couldn't do it. He broke it. But here, God is the one who takes the obligation on himself. It's the asymmetrical. All of the effort in this relationship is God's. All the effort that matters, all the effort that makes a difference is God's inclination towards you and me. It's almost as if in the story, if you were to keep reading, right, at every turn we bump into the unreliability of the human heart. We are selfish if you've been married, you bumped into it quicker than you wanted, right? If you've been in any kind of relationship, you've been confronted with the selfishness of the human heart, mostly your spouses, every once in a while your own, right? Like our hearts are bent in, inward. But at every, every moment in the story when our hearts want to turn in on themselves, what God promises in a covenant in this moment is that what will carry the weight of this relationship won't be our effort but his. His Faithfulness, he says. I am establishing this with you. It's just, if you, you might put it this way, that our, our unreliability will never outrun God's faithfulness. Cycle after cycle of rebellion and brokenness, and maybe you know that in your life, yet again and again at every turn, God will just up the ante, increase his commitment to the people he's created. Then we get to the rainbow, right? This moment where God says, this is a reminder to us, to you, to me. And there's sort of lots of imagery there, God kind of hanging his bow in the sky, perhaps retiring his, his bow is some sense, but it's this mark, it's a reminder to you and me. Uh, if nothing else, it's well out of mankind's reach. God says, this responsibility is mine. My faithfulness will make the, the difference in your life. So where does that leave us? Well, I think it leaves us with Aronofsky's movie, Noah. Did anybody see Aronofsky's movie, Noah? I don't know how long ago. How long ago? You guys were like, it was Russell Crowe? Yeah? You remember? Oh, yeah, Russell Crowe, right? No? Let me think. Uh, this is about the guy with the flood and the boat. The, uh, you guys remember that? I don't know. 
uh, it took some heat, like, uh, it, it, it took some heat, it took some creative license, you know, but I'm like, it's a movie, that's, that's, that's what they do, <laughs> but um, I, I bring it up because uh, I, I want to mention an interview with the director and some of the cast members, Sir Anthony Hopkins was among the group, right, and uh, uh, the, this uh, journalist was interviewing a, a group of them, among them Aronofsky and Hopkins, and to start the interview, this was his question. I took it easy on you guys because I asked about animals. But he said, uh, I'm Noah. The interviewer said, I'm Noah, and you guys are up to your necks in water. What would you say to me to convince me to let you on the ark? Right? Which is, I think, a move he plays up in the movie. They give, like, various answers. Um, I think Sir Anthony Hopkins just says, please, and I don't know, in an English sort of formal accent, which I did not do, but, you know. He said, he just said, please, is what he would say. Uh, I'm like, I, I don't know. In my head, I'm like, he's like, I'm a sir. All I have to say is please, and you will let me on the boat. I don't know. Uh, the director was like, oh, I, I, would, I would tell them that I would bring, I'd offer to bring my camera and set up a reality TV series for Noah, right? So it'd be all set up for his future life and the new creation. But the interesting m- moment in the interview is, is the director's response to the to the question because after this he says something that I, I, I think is interesting and he, he says to the interviewers like oh, man isn't that's what the film is about you hit it on the head you know like what makes you savable what makes you savable I think we think that Christianity is about that question what makes you savable what whether you think you're in need of saving, all of those questions are wrapped up in this, what makes you savable? And I think we get caught up and we think that this is a story about what we can do to make ourselves worthy enough for God to want to save us. If we just get enough things in the one column instead of the other, at the end of the day, you know, I'm a decent guy. The pros outweigh the cons. You know, I think we want to be like, we're all first rounders, right? Like, uh, that's what we hope when Noah shows up. Like, oh, yes, finally, a world full of first rounders. And you're like, no, we keep falling down the draft. Nope, 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 right? But we, we think it's a question about what makes us savable. What can I do? I think hearing the story of Noah, new creation, the hope and disappointment of new humanity, but then the promise of God's faithfulness reminds us that this is, that is not the story at all. The question is not about what makes you savable. The, the story of the Christian faith is that we will never be worthy. Our hearts are curved inward, and yet in the midst of all of that brokenness, God still steps in and saves. If I could take you back to that altar with Noah, he's reaching, maybe you're reaching and grasping. His ache is yours, some kind of lasting, some kind of permanent, some kind of lasting, the the churchy word is atonement, a sense of rightness and righteousness, and the best he can get is something tenuous, much like us, a sort of tightrope clasping of hands when what we want is a permanent, secure embrace. The rest of the story will be about that move. And over and over again, God will step deeper into that commitment. 
deeper into that commitment. Humans will, uh, humanity will fall short time and time again, but as the story continues, God will just step deeper and deeper and deeper until the one who is God and man, Jesus Christ, will, will show up and climb up on that altar himself, will swallow the flood and take in himself every evil intention of every human heart, and he will become an aroma and embracing mercy forgiveness for you and me which is remarkable despite our unreliable attempts to commit to him God remains committed to you as we put it earlier our unreliability is no match for God's faithfulness that is the story we find and Noah to put it differently to a people reliably sinful right to a people reliably, if we're reliable in any sense, it's that we're selfish and broken. To a people reliably sinful, God is remarkably faithful again and again. So I don't know where your altars might be today. I don't know your relationship to this story or to the person of Jesus. But I hope you'll hear an invitation in all that has happened this morning that despite sort of the unreliable messiness of your life, even in the midst of it, God is faithful to you. He seeks you out, commits to you, steps toward you. Says to us, Jesus on the cross, I will take all the violence you can express against one another. I will take it. I, I will take that and I will pass through it from death to life. Not even the violence of death, he says, can halt my faithfulness to whatever mess you've made of the altars of your life, I hope you will hear the gracious word of God to you in Jesus. He is faithful. I want to ask you guys to stand. We're going to close with a song and then Kristen will dismiss us with a benediction. I'm not sure I hit it with the draft, but I'll try, I'll try one more cultural reference. Any Anybody know Prairie Home Companion? <laughs> oh, all right, sweet. <laughs> a radio show, uh, really, uh, you know, just uh, really hitting all the marks this morning. But a radio show about prairie life that was a, uh, you know, it had a run, it was fun. Um, but uh, there's, there's a scene from it that comes to mind as I think about the story of Noah. And it's the land of, like, uh, again, the sort of upper Midwest, I think, and prairie life. And, uh, it's been called the land of powder milk biscuits and Lutherans, okay? But uh, anyway, so one, one, uh, uh, the, one episode sort of describing family life around a meal, a uh, Thanksgiving meal, where one learns not to uncover the casserole dishes before the prayer in these settings, right? you got to wait, right? you got to wait. And this is a scene from uh, that story. Everybody in the family knew that Uncle John couldn't pray without talking about the cross and crying. Sure enough, it's Thanksgiving, right? Remember, smell the food. You're like, we can. We're ready to go eat uh, brunch because it's too early for lunch. But, right, smell the food. Uncle John prayed. Sure enough, he prayed, talked about the cross, and he cried. And meanwhile, the rest of us shifted nervously from one foot to the other and just longed for the prayer to end. Then he, then he says this, all, all of us knew, all of us knew that Jesus died on the cross for us. But Uncle John had never gotten over it. 
my prayer is that we will be people who never, never get over it. However long you're around this story, whatever your relationship to this story, whatever unreliability you've experienced in your own heart and life, that you would know the faithfulness of God to you in Jesus, and you would never be able to get over it. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.